Welcome into the Who Day Dan. One week later after uh, my last episode, which was in the wee hours following round one of the NFL draft. And I thought I might get another episode before this one in, in between the two, you know, rounds two, round three additional, you know, players to talk about. Didn't happen, but that's what we're doing here today. And I have a guest joining later to talk a little bit about what grade he gave the Bengals draft, which might surprise you a little bit depending on how you felt about the draft. It seems like generally the the majority of Bengals fans were pleased with the draft. And I would probably fall under that category as well. They, there were some players that we took at spots where I preferred another player there, but there weren't too many uh, players that, that, you know, we took and I was like, ah, that's terrible. That's awful. Did not want that guy sort of thing. So I, I think I'm entering this also with, giving the B- the Bengals benefit of the doubt because, you know, they're the team I root for, but also this front office has done a lot to, to earn some trust. And do they nail every evaluation? Absolutely not. You know, Jackson Carmen could be exhibit one a, if things don't work out this year for him, taking him in the second round, you know, would, would prove to be inefficient use of resources there in the draft. But generally speaking, the Bengals have done a good job of drafting. You think about some of the guys we've gotten, and it's not just even the Zach Taylor regime. There's been plenty of guys that we have gotten in later rounds that have been contributors. I, I always think of George Iloka, who was never a Pro Bowl player type of safety, but was very consistent for us for a number of years. You know, we we nailed the early picks with with Burrow and Chase, which maybe were easy ones, but Higgins, uh, the top of the second round a couple years ago. Worked out nicely. Jesse Bates worked out nicely. Like we've had a lot of hits as well. So I'm giving the front office benefit of the doubt here. But after Daxton Hill, you know, we're a week past this. So I'm not breaking any news here. But the Bengals trade up, take Cam Taylor Britt, the cornerback out of Nebraska in the second round. It was um, a little surprising, I think. I I had mocked Cam Taylor Britt. I say I'd mocked like I knew what I was doing. When I was doing the PFF mock drafts, I continually selected Cam Taylor Britt in the second because he was one of the highest rated guys left there in the second round at the cornerback position. Usually I was taking Linderbaum round one, maybe a defensive lineman round one like Logan Hall or something. And then I would, you know, snag Taylor Britt as my cornerback. And in the draft, we saw them go Dax Hill safety kind of hybrid sort of dude in round one. So they came right back and hit um, in the second round there with Cam Taylor Britt to to compete with. Eli Apple at the boundary cornerback position there. So the, the, yeah, again, player selected might've not been my choice at the time. I, I was fine with it generally, but Kim Taylor Burt was one that I was interested in. But the surprising part to me was the fact that we traded up for him. So having him come in, I think uh, Jeff Hobson tweeted it out when it happened. It was only the seventh time the Bengals have traded up in a draft and they went and got their guy out of Nebraska, Zach Taylor's alma mater, the guy that was a captain, Cam Taylor Britt, had 18 interceptions plus forced incompletions since 2020, which was tops among Big Ten cornerbacks. That was per PFF College. So a a ball hawking type of guy, physical, does a, a I mean, you see his athleticism on display when he's out there uh, competing on the field. So he's a great addition. Uh, third round surprised me a little bit. I was not one to necessarily, I will say my gut reaction to selecting Zachary Carter out of Florida was what are we doing? Mainly because I hadn't heard of him, but um, you know, over the initial, after the, the first 10 minutes there wore off, it was, all right, 
I don't know enough about this guy to say whether he's going to be good, whether he's going to be bad, read up a little bit on what he offers. And there were other guys on the board, Perry on Winfrey. A lot of people liked him better than Zachary Carter. Again, I didn't know enough about the two of them to say that I personally believe that other than just what I had heard other people that I trust say. So there was a little bit of a surprise pick to take Carter there in round three, but what he brings is athleticism and it was a common theme throughout the draft. We, you know, from the Dax Hill pick to Cam Taylor Britt to Zachary Carter to Tyson Anderson, another safety we took in round five out of Toledo athletic, athletic, athletic guys, the, the Raz score, or I guess it's just called Raz because the S is score. The Raz that I had mentioned last episode when talking about Dax Hill, the relative athletic score, very high for all of those guys. And, um, I, I, it was obviously a point of emphasis for Lou Anarumo for that team. Zachary Carter had a what Raz of 8.1. So his, his size was a little bit small for a defensive tackle only weighed 282. Um, but all of his speed and agility type of things were, were really great. So it's a, he's an athletic guy and, uh, we'll see how it plays out. Is he going to be a day one starter? Most likely not. I think he's, you know, a rotational guy. We'll see what he turns into, but the draft was speed, 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 versatility, obviously a focus on the defensive side of the ball, because if we zoom out a little bit and you think about the AFC, this isn't about the Bengals just needing to beat the Ravens and have an answer for Lamar Jackson. It's not just we need to beat the Browns and have an answer for Deshaun Watson. It's about beating the Chiefs. It's about beating the Bills. It's about beating the Chargers if they take a step. High-powered offenses. The Broncos added Russell Wilson. We'll see what they look like. There are potentially some extremely high-octane offenses in the AFC. So this was a draft that met some of the needs we had, but also put an emphasis on get athletes onto the field that can cover other athletes that are out there on the offensive side of the ball. So I think the biggest complaint from Bengals fans was, oh, we didn't draft a tight end. We didn't draft a depth at wide receiver. And I, I just found both of those to be much less important right now, less of a priority. I think Hayden Hurst is very capable of being as productive as Uzama was last year. And I don't think last year when Uzama was healthy and playing, we were regularly saying, man, we need a better tight end out there. He was fine. He contributed when called upon. I think Hayden Hurst can do that. Yes, he only signed to a one-year deal, but I'm not sure there's a need to go get a tight end through the draft, especially if you wanted one of the guys that were a little bit more of a surefire thing, which again, rarely in the NFL means production as a rookie. There are only a few guys that actually do that. The the, act, the absolute unicorns like Kyle Pitts. Other than that, rookie tight ends typically aren't really a factor. You have to wait till year two, three, four. You got to let them develop. So I definitely didn't want one in rounds one or two. I didn't want to reach for one in round three. I think if Hayden Hurst plays fine, we re-sign him again. I, he's not going to be an expensive free agent. We can look to the 2023 free agent class. There are quite a few more than capable pass catchers. Dalton, Dalton Schultz from Dallas is out there next year. I think Evan Ingram would be out there again. There, there's a few that are proven tight ends that could be options if we needed to. So I wasn't big on we need to get a tight end and we didn't come away with one. I wasn't big on we need a wide receiver to, to fill in behind some of these guys. I think from my perspective, yes, wide receiver depth is lacking a little bit now. 
we have question marks about are we going to be able to afford Chase and T? Is T going to be with us two years from now, or is he going to be playing on another team or whatever? Is is Tyler Boyd in the long term plans? Is he a casualty to try to save some money to to be able to afford the bigger guys? I don't know. There are question marks there, no doubt. But what we do know is that if there's some sort of injury, there are other weapons on this offense that I would just like to see get more usage in that case. If you know Mixon can get more involved in the passing game, Hayden Hurst can be more of a factor. If Chris Evans, even we don't want to forget about him being a potential weapon offensively. I would just prefer seeing those guys get more opportunities if there are targets up for grabs because a wide receiver gets injured. Overseeing Khalil Shakir from, I think it was Boise State or whatever. It was like a a mid-round, fourth-ish round type of guy that we could have gotten at wide receiver. I don't really want to see him taking significant snaps as a rookie. I'd rather just see those other proven talents, those other athletes we have on the offensive side of the ball. Like, you know, Tyler Boyd gets injured. I don't want to throw a rookie into there and expect them to pick up where Tyler Boyd. I just want to give Jamar Chase four more targets a game and T Higgins three more targets a game and let those guys do it. Like we have that luxury and, um, you know, Evans and Hurst middle of the field, mixing more out of the backfield. Jamar to me is the only guy that if he missed time would significantly hurt this offense that would be extremely difficult to replicate or replace his production. So there's not a Jamar in this draft anyways. We weren't going to take one at 31, even if one fell that far. So it's kind of a moot point. You're not going to replace a Jamar. He's he's a freak. He's one of the best wide receivers already in the NFL. So if he does suffer an injury, miss a few games, you just you, you deal with it and you just tread water till he gets back and, and adjust accordingly. But other than that, if some of those other ancillary weapons go down, I think this team is equipped to pick up the slack for that player. So I mentioned our guest. Uh, I'm going to welcome in he, him in here shortly. And he had a draft grade for the Bengals that was surprising to me when I read it. It hurt a little bit when I read it, but I wanted to give him an opportunity to talk a little bit about where it came from, how he come to, came to that conclusion, and then talk a little bit more detail about some of these players we took. And today's guest is Thor Nystrom, senior content creator at NBC Sports Edge. Big time draft dude, right? I think this is the pure definition of what you would say is a draft Nick. I don't know. I guess you could define that however you want. But Thor is here with us to talk a little bit about the Bengals draft this you know, past week, I guess it was now. It's been a long week. How are you doing, Thor? I'm doing well. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. Um, NBC Sports Edge, that's formerly Roto World, right? For those that maybe. Okay. Yeah. So uh, Roto World slash NBC Sports Edge. Um, a lot of great stuff. And you were cranking some content out pre-draft uh starting early on but i know in march i think was when i saw your first mock draft maybe maybe it wasn't the first one you put out but that was the first one i saw from you and then of course your big board which was 500 players um yeah a lot of work so uh you're definitely thick into it uh leading up to the draft how is it compared to what you're feeling now so all that work goes into it the draft happens is it a sense of relief is it a sense of Oh, no, like, like, not what do I do now? But, you know, that's kind of like what you're invested in heavily for weeks and weeks. Yeah, no, in, in a lot of ways, it is relief because you sort of run this marathon and you know where the end point is. And, you know, it, I really enjoy running the thing. But by the time you get to, to day three and then it's finally the seventh round and then you have to start writing your grades, like by the end, you're just sort of running on fumes. So I'm always excited to, to get done with the process and sort of put it in the rearview mirror. 
And then for me, with my job, I'm lucky because half the year I covered the NFL draft. And then when the NFL draft gets done, like in May, we flip it to college football. Right. And so then I'm doing my preseason work for that. And some of that dovetails into the next class of the NFL draft as well. You know, one of the things I like to do in the summer is go through all the top, you know, 20, 25 quarterback prospects or whatever, at least try to get it set up in my head of where I'm at with the guys, watch their film, you know, sort of stack them up like I like them and then write, you know, scouting reports on them and stuff like that, have a baseline to start out with. Um, and then, you know, some of the other positions as well, you know, as time permits or whatever, but then going into the season then I cover, you know, college football first and foremost, make predictions against the spread, stuff like that. And then when the national title game happens, you know, when we get to mid January, then we flip it back to the NFL draft. So I, I love what I do. Never a shortage of content in those areas. Now, we did try to connect prior to the draft. Obviously, you were very busy. We have a post-draft recap now. But when I attempted to schedule this, I had no idea that you were going to be as low as you were on the Bengals draft. Uh, but I, you know, we talked a little bit about uh, before I hit record here. I am very interested in this conversation. One, because you bring a level of knowledge and insight into these individual players that you know, most people do not have. And secondly, within the insulated world of Bengals fans on Twitter or Facebook or wherever they are, we obviously um, look through a different lens than maybe outsiders. So we are already planning on Dax Hill taking over Jesse Bates role, being an all pro type of guy. Cam Taylor Britt's going to replace Eli Apple. He's going to be awesome. Cordell Volson's going to be starting on our line. Like this is great. We've got impact players up and down this draft. When in reality, you know, maybe that will or will not happen. Um, but I want to start with the bad. I don't want to end with the bad on the pod here. So I want to start with the draft grade. And um, depending on where you go, you know, you could look at NFL, SB Nation, um, NFL.com gave the Bengals a A minus on their draft grade. And you can kind of tell when you go to some of these sites and you look at some of these analysts, some are definitely uh lean on the side of being optimistic with pretty much everybody's draft, lots of A's and B's and nobody lower than a C. And it's like, really? Cause like I watched that and felt like there were some teams that quite obviously did not draft very well. Uh, like the Patriots being one, you really didn't like the Texans draft. But then if you go look at your, um, your grades and you can find those out on NBC you gave the Bengals a D and I want to get your thoughts on kind of your thought process. What goes behind your grade that you gave them? Ultimately, why did the Bengals score so low and what you're looking at? Yeah, you know, and just to set it up, you alluded to some of this stuff. But like, um, and, and I love uh, Chad, who does the the, the the draft grades at NFL.com. But it, it's funny because like he's my buddy in real life. Like I, I literally love that dude. But he and I are on the exact opposite sides of the spectrum. You know, did, did you see the the tweet with the GPAs that that Renee Bugner put out? Yes, from, yep. from Germany. Yeah. Yep. So so every single year, every single year, go you you can look back at that chart like the last five years. Every single year, Chad is the one who's all the way on the left because he also lines it up like the writers where where their aggregate GPA is. He's, mm -hmm. he's always the one on the left. I'm always the one on the very right, you know, because I, I grade on a curve. So every single year, I'm going to give two teams an A plus. I'm going to give two teams an F. Every other team gets, you know, filtered throughout, you know, there, whatever, like, you know, two D minuses and then two Ds. So you're comparing you're comparing each draft class to the two A's that you've given to that class. I am giving the reader a full scope of what my opinion is on each class in that specific moment. Yep. Yeah. I mean, you have to do it right after the draft, you know, because people, people will be like, oh, shouldn't we wait on these things until 10 years after the draft? <laughs> and it's like, yeah, yeah that's pal. no fun. 
it's like, yeah, pal, but all you guys click on them, you know, like, so it's like, you know, and, and, and I certainly like doing them, you know, cause like I've, I've gone through the kids, I, I've ranked them out on my board and whatever. And then you see how the NFL, you know, in specific teams, how they see them as well. Um, but mostly what I'm, what I'm grading for, um, I, I want to take out juicing anyone's grade because they had more draft equity. So I, that's not a consideration for me. I also don't consider trades because there's so many trades that happen for each team, trying to put them all together into one thing for each specific team. It just, it, it became too much. And I was trying to do that too. So what I focus on really it's value that you got in the slots that you picked. And then also how adequately did you plug the needs that you had for your team? Or at least how well did I think, right? Like my evaluation against, against the slots that they right. ended up picking. So yeah. then like you said, okay, actually go ahead. Well, I, I want to pick on that a little bit there. So based on the, the D grade that you gave the Bengals, was that largely you felt that they did not fill needs on their roster that you would have liked to see them fill position wise, or was it, uh, more so a value discrepancy or a combination of both for them specifically? So, yeah, I mean, no, the, the, the reason it was the latter, I, I think, was the way you said it, it the, the value in, in the slots. As far as the guys they got, I, I actually understood why they were attracted to some of the guys that they were, you know, like, as, and particularly, and I said this before the draft, what the Bengals have done a really good job with in recent years, you know, for, for, I mean, first, of course, they built up, you know, the skills, right? Like they got their burrow, they, they got chase, you know, they, they built that stuff up. The receiving core is all good. Now, you know, you've got the running back stuff like that, but the offensive line, the, the building up of that here, the last two years, last mm -hmm. two plus years. And then they sort of finished that off this off season. So it didn't force them into a corner early on where, right. you know, like in, in the mocks before they made those three transactions for those three offensive linemen, you know, in the off season or whatever, Everyone was projecting them. Or most people were projecting them offensive line yes. in the first round. Yep. You know, obviously much bigger need at that point, but you were able to mitigate that because of your other moves. Gave you a little bit more latitude. And then I think at that point, the secondary, I mean, objectively, yes. that, be, that, that became the position group, both at corner and safety. It was interesting, both the prospects that they were attracted to do, and also sort of the, the ideology behind that, because they could have gone one, you know, sort of set guy who played this one specific role, his entire career, and you know, he can do it like at safety. And then, you know, let's say a deep, you know, center field, whatever. And then we, a boundary cornerback say, but instead they went, you know, two of these hybridy guys that can sort of switch between different things to sort of attack both different things. So, you know, it's interesting, the guys as well, that they were attracted to, I thought, but, but they for sure went after the, the, you know, the positions that they needed to fill. I, I thought they did a good job of that. Yeah, I think um, Lou Anaruma, the defensive coordinator, touched on that pretty much every time he was talking about one of their defensive players they drafted was versatility and speed and athleticism and all those things. So that was obviously important to them. They obviously nailed that aspect. Remains to be seen whether um, these guys were reaches or, you know, you look at you, you, you can't ever do this and not drive yourself crazy as a fan, but like, look at like who you could have taken, <laughs> you know, two years from now, you look and be like, oh, we passed on this all pro guy or you know, we took Trubisky over Mahomes. <laughs> like, you know, you can drive yourself crazy with those. But uh, was there was there particular players on the board at 31 specifically that you were higher on than Daxton Hill that would have maybe for you been a better value at that spot? For me, one of two guys. Yeah. Uh, Louis Seen was the higher ranked safety on, on my board. He was number two. Um, you know, and but if if the Bengals did, you know, if they wanted more of that nickel defender slot guy, hybrid guy. Then I would have taken Jalen Petrie. He was also a little bit higher on my board. 
Um, but look, I, I get why you're attracted to Daxon Hill and, and what you said. That's what I would have assumed that led them there. You know, Daxon Hill, he has more athleticism. You know, I, I, you know, maybe with between him and Cena, it'd be, it'd be a closer race between that. But like, he's obviously a very fleet athlete. You know, he's measured in over six foot, one ninety one, four three eight. You know, ninetieth percentile overall athletic composite. The the agility stuff. You know, that that was all great as well. Um, it's just for me, he wasn't. You know, in, in coverage, you, that's sort of a wash for me against some of the other guys. They do it in different ways. Mm-hmm. So it's it's not a complete apples to apples. Like Louis Seen, he he's playing he's playing deep center field and he's crashing down on the ball point. Whereas the two other guys we mentioned, they're, they're obviously, you know, playing closer to the line of scrimmage in the slot. But Petrie, he's just as good in coverage. But for me, he's way, way more disruptive, you know, as a pass rusher, crashing down against the run, everything like that. Uh, Hill is, is an absolutely fabulous athlete. Um, but he, you know, he's, he's not built huge and he's not built super duper long. Um, so it's, it's more, the athleticism foot is what he sort of leading the evaluation with, um, a couple of the other guys, I just found a little bit more disruptive, um, or field flippers, um, you know, at, at the same position. But again, I understand why they went that way. Yeah. And I, I'm sure this comes down to the bias of being a Bengals fan. I'm not, there wasn't really any pick where I was. Oh my goodness. That's terrible. Uh, there were guys I preferred. Sure. But they're close enough for me. And I know. Uh, just enough to be dangerous about some of these guys. So I can't say for sure. Oh, this guy flips his hips way better than the other guy. Like, I don't know. Uh, that's not the stuff I watch when I'm watching college football. Uh, but it was interesting on your um, big board before the draft, you did have seen as the 24th overall player. You had Petrie at 30 and ultimately Daxon Hill down at 42. So there was a little bit of discrepancy there. Um, I think second round was a little bit closer. We took um, Taylor Britt, traded up for him. And I think you had him on your big board at 67 and we traded up and got him at 60. So comparable value. Um, I, I don't want to bash all the picks there. I, th- I did want to talk about the grades cause I found that to be very interesting. Specifically our first three picks. I think those are the ones that we expect to be um, contributors sooner rather than later. Can you talk a little bit about any of those three things you liked when you evaluated them? You've touched a little bit on Dax athleticism and um, versatility and things like that. Dax, Cam Taylor, Britt, uh, Zachary Carter, another guy we took in round three. What what kind of things did you see when you were evaluating those guys as prospects? You know, whether they were reaches or not, what will they bring to the team in 2022 and beyond? Yeah, well, the the thing you like about Cam Taylor Britt is he's shown you the ability to do sort of a million different things on, you know, at the college level. Like he was starting earlier in his career at strong safety. I think he's played, he has some center field experience as well. And then we've seen him at cornerback as well, you know, shadowing some of the, the Big Ten's better receivers here these last couple of years. And then he tested so dang well. I was going to pull up his 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 Raz. Um, you know, the four three eight thing. That was when you really started to hear steam behind his name in the pre-draft process. I think people were waiting to see exactly where he came in. You know, as, as far as the high end speed and stuff like that. Um, and so and he proved the concept with that stuff. It's it sounds like they're going to play him at corner. That, that's certainly where I had him evaluated as well. But I do think he gives you some position versatility where, you know, if, if you needed someone in a pinch to play safety, um, you could certainly try him back there as well. I, I, I like the ball skills you see with him. You know, he had ball production all three years at, at, at Nebraska. Um, it's for me, it's, and you see this sometimes with guys that didn't play in one spot. It's like, he's, how do you say master of 
mini or master yeah. and you know yeah. sort, sort of a thing yeah i, I always skip i don't saying. remember the saying but i know exactly what you're talking yeah. about and i, I don't know why it's like I skilled always, at many of a master of none or something like that yeah i, I have to google it now go, go to it because i i can never actually <laughs> successfully say that once i start going so i'm like oh crap going down a, a dead end but um you just want him to work at the one spot more you know it, it's not a um it's not a thing if he can't it's a thing sort of like Traylon Burks, where it's like we want to project him as a clean outside boundary guy. It's going to be able to win, create separation, the intermediate level, uh, you know, make plays downfield as well, catch the ball in contested situation downfield. But so much at Arkansas was moving him around the formation so you could force the ball to him close to the line of scrimmage to leverage his run after the catch, sort of like, you know, a much bigger version of Rondell Moore at Purdue. In the same way here, you know, in, in, in at Nebraska, they needed to move him around. You know, and you got to see different things, but you'd like to see, you know, his NFL team stick him one spot. This is what we want you to be. This is what we're going to develop you at. Yeah, I had to Google it. It was Jack of all trades, master of none. Okay. Uh, a figure of speech used in reference to a person who's dabbled in many skills rather than gaining expertise by focusing on one. So we got it. Uh, hopefully we remember that for next time we want to use it. <laughs> I'll try. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think the, you know, for me, the versatility is kind of a two-edged sword because on one hand, it's great. It's versatility, right? You're not pigeonholed into feeling like this guy has to fill this specific role. He can move around. On the other hand, you get into potential situations and there are other issues going on with him, but like a Jackson Carmen who's comfortable playing in a certain spot, you then say, all right, we're going to move you to the opposite side of the line and put you in a different position. And he struggled at right guard. We'll see, you know, whether he wins that left guard job or not. So kind of two edged sword. I, I'm, I'm with you on the Cam Taylor Britt. I hope he's uh, for the most part being coached up to be in a, a boundary corner. And then Dax Hills kind of your uh, all over the place guy, you know, whether he, is predominantly box safety or kind of goes back and forth between the two reminds me a little bit of Von Bell who we have now who can do a little bit of both of those uh sure he does some of them better than others but they're similar players uh there's one guy that I didn't tell you beforehand that I wanted to ask you about and I hope you have some insight on him it's an undrafted free agent that Cincinnati signed uh Mr. Kwame Lassiter <laughs> out of Kansas because you are uh and this is not to be said offensively but you are the only kansas football fan that i know of um so <laughs> i want to get your thoughts on kwame lassiter the undrafted free agent heading to cincinnati um first let me give you uh <laughs> what, <laughs> let, let me give you my most recent kansas football an anecdote that will also show you just how sick i am as a kansas football fan when i was at the um the nfl combine in uh what was it early march or whatever um, there's a really nice restaurant that that most of the media and the NFL folks will, will try to go to at least once during that week. Um, it's called St. Elmo's, kind of like the movie, you know, whatever. <laughs> but it's like it's a steakhouse and like they, they have these famous shrimp cocktails. Anyhow, the reason I'm telling you this, they were bringing us to our table, me, you know, the party I was with. And I thought I had seen this guy earlier in the day, but I walk right by his table. He's sitting on the end. It was Charlie Weiss. And oh, like, wow. I, I viscerally got angry again. I, ha I had to not look over it. Yeah, I was going to say, was that like a, oh, starstruck? Or like, I can't stand this, dude. <laughs> no, it's it's the opposite. It's, bro, you you torched my program to the effing <laughs> ground. We won the Orange Bowl in, in 2008. And then, you know, five years later, you take over and literally burn the last yep. vestiges of the thing to the ground, going after Juco's. And <laughs> he, he, anyway, he, he wasn't trying no more. But no, like, uh, Kwame Lasseter, it's just... <laughs> With him, you know, the reason he didn't get drafted or whatever, it's it's just because of the measurable stuff. But he has skill as a receiver, you know, and 
And by the way, there's precedent for a guy coming from the same school that's sort of similar that made it. And I think he's even a little bit smaller, Steven Sims, you know, going mm-hmm. back a couple of years with, with uh, Washington, yep. you know, or whatever. Um, it, it, it was a similar thing. Like Lasseter, he, he was around for a while, but he was at least reliable. It's just he's not crazy explosive and he's not big. Um, but there's a shot that he could he could carve something out. And I, I know that uh, that the Kansas now they got a little bit of a UDFA pipeline to Cincinnati because last year they got one of my boys in Puka Williams <laughs> yeah, Puka. as well. Love Puka. Yeah. What are the chances that uh, Cincinnati creates the pipeline for a UDFAs from Kansas? Um, yeah, I will say I think, you know, a large re- reason Puka was able to stick around to was some of his usage on special teams. I think if, you know, I don't know if Lassiter's done that before or can do it, uh, but I think that would be wide receiver is one of those positions where you on paper you look and say, wow, they're stacked. Like, yes, we're not looking for a starter. But there is a lot of question marks about depth at the position, potentially. So who knows? We'll see if he makes the team. Uh, I'll be rooting him uh, for him. I'm sure you will as well. Uh, Thor, I appreciate your time. I appreciate your insight into the uh, the players here. And yeah, it turns out you you don't hate Cincinnati, right? This is a totally non-personal grade. Totally non-personal. <laughs> and in, in, in fact, I, I, I gave the Vikings, you know, I'm, I'm a Vikings fan coming to you from Minneapolis. I gave them a C plus. I, I gave the Packers a, a B plus, the hated Packers. So, so, you know, it's not coming from a biased place. And like I always try to say too, I'm not a soothsayer. I don't know the future. It's just my opinion in the moment, you know? So uh, if I end up being wrong, I'll come back and apologize to the city, <laughs> the city of Cincinnati for sure. All right. Well, we appreciate you. Thank you for your time. You got it. Thanks brother. Thanks again, Thor. Appreciate your time and knowledge. We will be back next week with an episode, ooh, let's see, maybe Friday again? Maybe next Friday. The schedule is supposed to release Thursday, and we will see just how many primetime games the Bengals will be in. We we learned this week they will not be playing overseas this season. So, you know, regularly scheduled programming and travel and whatever else is resumed here. But we'll see. When are we playing each opponent? Um, It'll be fun to see how many primetime games, how many Sunday night games, Monday night games, Thursday night games. They are fun, I think, but they also, I I don't know. There's just something about like if we play on Monday night that you have, especially if it's not a home game that you are going to, having to wait till Monday for your team to play at night and then staying up late and being super tired for Tuesday at work. Not ideal, but you know what? I will take that when the trade-off is you have a good team and that's why you've got all these primetime games. So, the home games, I'm all about primetime. I think that is a lot of fun. The atmosphere, the buzz, the extra media coverage and ESPN there or NBC or whomever it is. Just I think you feel an extra energy there. Even last year, it was the Jacksonville Jaguars who earned the number one pick again this year. They were the worst team. And it was still a palpable energy in that Paul Brown Stadium for the Thursday night game. And yes, there was Ring of Honor stuff going on, but still... Just the the fact that you could just tell it's a little bit different playing at nighttime and stuff like that. So I'm I'm excited. We will talk a little bit about the schedule. I'll probably I'll probably try to to go with some win loss guesstimates. Don't know if we'll do that episode or not um, this week or next week. Excuse me. I might be further down the line. That should be that should be some good summer content when we are scrapping for anything newsworthy to talk about as it relates to the Bengals in the dog days of summer. But. We will talk the schedule release sometime next week. Thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning in to the Who Day Den. Until next time, everybody. Who Day. <laughs>